Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. final week of our neighborly, neighborly series. Easy for me to say. Hey, hey, just one quick thing about next week. We're really excited uh, about next week. It's just a one-week kind of mini-series, which we would just call a sermon, but uh, we're not going to be in our uh, Be a Light series for a couple more weeks. But also during this service, MTSU's football team is going to be here and all their support staff. So if you can kind of get the picture, everybody's sitting right over in this area there won't be this area, so they uh, they come in masses. So we're excited that they've uh, chosen to, to come and be a part of our worship. So what does that mean? I'm going to ask, and this is not for everybody because some of you can't change services. I get the, you guys email me and get mad when I try to tell you to change services. I'm not saying that. But if, if 10% of you could say, hey, we could come on Thursday night or we could come at 820 just for next week, that would help us out tremendously to, to be able to make room. And I tell you, our Thursday night service, if you haven't been here, 6.15, it's my favorite service of the week. It's a, it's a great time, so you might want to give that a try if you've been thinking about it. So I'm not getting a good vibe from you guys on that. So anyway, it's just whatever. Think about it. Hey, today we're going we're gonna to finish up, and we're going to talk about um, what it means to be a neighbor. We're going to look at probably the most important passage in the Scripture on what it means to be a neighbor because Jesus really obliterates what we thought a neighbor was. And so we're going to talk about today the untold story of compassion. And we're going to look at a story that everybody, whether you grew up in church or not, has a background with. Like when I say the story of the good Samaritan, you've heard of that. I mean, people who aren't believers, people on other sides of the planet today, they would have heard of that. There's agencies and organizations that have taken the name, you know, of Samaritan and used that in what they're doing in the culture. The problem is there is an untold story to this story that we're going to look at today that when we peel back the layers, I think God could show us something that could be just really transformational in our lives. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open them up to Luke uh, chapter 10. Verse 25, that's where we will, that's where we will be today. And uh, we're going to take a look at this untold story of compassion. I want to go ahead and, and just jump in and get started and try to answer some of the questions. You say, untold story, what do you mean? I know the story of the Good Samaritan because here's the story of the Good Samaritan. There was, uh, there was this guy who got himself uh, beaten up and robbed and he's laying on the side of the road dying and this religious guy comes by and walks to the other side of the road, doesn't help him. And then there's another religious guy who saw him walk by on the other side of the road and doesn't help him. And then there was like this other guy who is a Samaritan who, who does help him and we're supposed to be like the Samaritan. Got it. There's a little bit more. Uh, let's look. Starting in, in verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So here's a guy who knows the Old Testament cold. He calls himself an expert. And so he's going to stand up in the midst of the crowd, and his intent is to expose Jesus. He's going to show Jesus to be a fraud, or so he thinks. This is going to go south for this dude and real, real quick. He, he says, teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? So he, he asks a good question. And it's probably the most important question in the world. What does a person, what does a person need? He says, what does a person do to have e e eternal life? So that, that's a good question. He has sort of the wrong, he has the wrong motive. He's, he, he's really not concerned uh, about that. He just is concerned about exposing Jesus. So listen to Jesus' answer. It's, it's amazing. Jesus says, what is written in the law? And then Jesus said, how do you read it? 
Now, we, we might say, well, Jesus, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, here's a dude that like wanted to know how, how, how could he get saved and, and well, why didn't you just explain it to him? Well, he is. He's just going a little bit deeper because Jesus says, uh, how do you understand the law? First of all, this guy's question is, is, is wrong. This guy's question is, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? There's nothing a, person that can, nothing a person can do to inherit eternal life. This guy doesn't understand it, but Jesus is going to show that to him. So here's how the guy answers. Jesus said, how do you read the law? The guy says, I got this, I got this. He turns around, looks at the crowd and says, I got it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor with all of your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And to that, Jesus said, good answer. You answered that correctly. And I just see this expert in the law turning around to the crowd, just smiling like, it's going better than I thought. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, do this and you'll live. And look look at verse 29. But this man wanted to justify himself. In other words, he, 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 wanted, he wanted to know what he had to do in order to be right with God. And Jesus says, you know, just, just do what you said. I mean, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. Like, have, have God be the first of all of your thoughts. I mean, when your mind goes idle, let it immediately go to God and who he is and what he's about. Serve him with all of your strength. Give him the best of who you are in each and every situation. And then here's what you need to do. Love other people and be as concerned about other people as you are about yourself. Be as concerned about other people's kids as you are your own kids. And you do that and you'll live. And, and, and so what, what this guy knows is, I can't do that. I don't know what your weekend was like, but I doubt anybody's weekend lived that out perfectly. And, and so here's what, here's what this man says. He says, Jesus, one more follow-up question. He says, let, let me just clarify, who is my neighbor? And he is hoping against hope that Jesus narrows the parameter on being a neighbor to people that are manageable, people that, that he really likes. He's hoping that they are just certainly Jewish people, but Jewish people inside the same group that he was in. He's hoping that Jesus narrows neighbor, and Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus obliterates that. He, he makes it much, much larger. He's hoping that salvation could be something that he could manage, but he's about to find out he cannot. All right? So here we go. Here's what I want you to see. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus tells a story. Now, this is where we pick up the parable, uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We always start here in, in verse 30. But here's what I want you to see. We said this is the untold story. This parable is in a response to this question. So if you don't understand the question, it's hard to really understand the significance of this story. Does that make sense? Jesus was responding to a man who wants to know who his neighbor is. He's responding to a man who's trying to trick him and see how he can manage his salvation or produce his salvation. And then Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And to that, some of the people in the crowd says, listen up, mama, it's about to get good. Every time he tells a story, it's amazing. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, when Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he meant a man was going down. Because when you travel, I've done it multiple times, when you travel the 17 miles from the city of Jerusalem to the city of Jericho, it is straight downhill. It's only 17 miles, but it is a 3,500 feet drop in elevation. You're in a, a charter bus and you are screaming. When he was attacked by robbers, 
And, 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 and a first century culture, they wouldn't have seen this as like really kind of a stretch. This happened all the time. In fact, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was called the Pass of Blood. I'm out as I'm planning a trip, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go another way. Because there were so many, in, in, in this road downhill, there were so many outcropped rocks. It was just a perfect ambush place for people as they traveled from Jerusalem for robbers to jump out and attack people. And it happened all the time. So, so this is a super realistic story for, for the listeners to hear. Some would even say that this might have been a story that Jesus ripped from the headlines, that they, they, they knew about this. And it says that he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes because that was what was most valuable to people in this culture. Their clothes were very, very expensive. So they took his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Or the way, the way that the Greek writes it is, is leaving him left for dead. So he's bleeding out on the side of the road. In verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were privileged to grow up in the church, you heard this story every single year in Sunday school, and, and we bashed the priest for, for 45 minutes, right? That's what we did. I mean, this guy's an absolute jerk. Here's a guy dying on the side of the road, and he just kind of ignores it, jumps on the other side, eating a sandwich, just like totally disinterested. And, and, and there's some truth to that. But here's the, here's the other side of this story. This man, this priest was leaving Jerusalem, going to Jericho where he most likely lived. And so why would he have been in Jerusalem? He would have been in Jerusalem for ceremonial cleansing, for purification, so that he could go back to his hometown and receive the sacrifices from uh, his people. So he had to be ceremonially uh, clean or pure. That would have taken seven days in Jerusalem for him to do that. Now you say, well, what's the point? If he would have stopped and he would have touched this man who was dying, that would have immediately rendered him ceremonially unclean. So he had to turn and go back up to Jerusalem, spend seven more days being uh, purified before he can go back home. And he just didn't have the time for that, right? And so can, can you see, I mean, now we kind of see this guy. It doesn't mean what he did was right. We just sort of, sort of see it in a little bit of a, a different light. Now, let's look on. Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So who's a Levite? A Levite, best way to understand that is like a JV priest. It's like a junior varsity priest. I mean, he was a priest in training and from a priestly clan and family, but he, he, he was wanting to be a priest, training to be a priest. And he's thinking, well, listen, if varsity can't handle this, then, then I'm not going to handle this. He, he immediately, he, he talks himself out of it. And one of the reasons why he might have talked himself out of it is because this, this involves some, some risk. This would have involved some courage. I mean, that we know that the road that this took place that Jesus is saying was called the pass of blood. And oftentimes what people would do, robbers would do, is they would place somebody out in the road, make it look like they had been beaten. And when you stopped, then they had you. So this would have been, it would have taken some courage. It would have taken some time. It would have taken some courage. And so it was just easier for him to pass by on the other side. Now, now what Jesus is wanting to see by using a priest and a Levite, he's responding to this expert in the law and he's trying to teach him what a neighbor is and he's showing him the two people in his world who knew the law better than anybody else, knew the Old Testament better than anybody else, didn't do anything for the man who was hurting. Do you see that? Two of you. That's all it takes for me, man. That's plenty, right? That's plenty. Now, here we go. Verse 33. You have to get this. You have to get this. But a Samaritan. So Jesus introduces another character, and he's a Samaritan. Now, again, 
If you were privileged to grow up in the church, you, 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 you probably understand that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. This is a, this is a big understatement. They hated each other. And here's why they hated each other. Samaritans were a group. They were Jews who lived in the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. They made up these 12 tribes who lived in the north. And when the Assyrians came in and attacked Israel and took them captive, this, this group of people, they intermarried with these pagan Assyrians. And, and Assyrians were evil, evil, vile people. I mean, some would say in history that the Assyrians might be some of the most vile people who ever lived on the planet Earth, that they would just play mind games with their enemies that they were about to attack. What they would do to bodies and mutilating bodies and showing them to their enemies before they would come and attack was just nuts. And so here you have a group of people who, who just sort of acquiesce and they, and they, and they give into that. So they, they are a group known as the Samaritans. Now, it, it wasn't just that Jews uh, were, were prejudiced. It was like legalized prejudice. It was almost like apartheid. In other words, if you were a Jew and somebody told you, hey, the bread that you're eating was made by a Samaritan, you couldn't even eat that bread. And it wasn't like the Samaritans were, were totally pure in all of this actions. I mean, Samaritans hated the Jews. In fact, on Passover, when the, Jew, the Jewish high holy weekend of Passover, what the Samaritans were often known to do would be at, at the bottom, Jerusalem set up on a hill, the Samaritans would take a pig, slaughter a pig, gut a pig, place it on a catapult, and they would sling that catapult or shoot that pig up and have it land in the temple or in the temple court. Now, if you know anything about, about Jews, the most vile, detestable animal for a Jew was what? I mean, some of you are like, man, that's like a, that's a crazy college prank gone bad. I mean, this is terrible. And so here's what I'm trying to tell you. Think Hatfield and McCoys, but worse, right, when you think about Samaritans. You, are you with me? I know I took a lot of time there, but you don't really understand this story until you understand the animosity between these two groups of people. And so to me, why is it that Jesus uses Samaritan? He uses a priest. He uses a Levite. Why does he go here? Well, he's going here for a very specific reason, and we'll show you in just a few moments. Now, here we go. But as a Samaritan traveled, he came where the man was, the man bleeding out on the side of the road. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. If you have your Bible open, underline that word pity. It may be translated in your Bible as compassion. We're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about that. And compassion, when we see this word in the original language in just a few moments, it is like a gut reaction. It is this emotion that just wells up in you that you really can't do a whole lot about. So he has compassion on him. He went to him. So when it says that the Samaritan went to this Jewish man on the side of the road and, and he begins to kneel down and he starts to care for him, he is crossing over all these social, political, and religious boundaries. I mean, he is obliterating them. And, and, and in so doing, Jesus is showing us who our, our, who our neighbor is. So he says he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then, the, then he put the man on his own donkey. So this guy is going to walk and this man who's bleeding out is going to ride. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him, meaning he spent the night with this dude and, and cared for him as he's really on life support. I mean, that again, is like a Hatfield spending the night with a McCoy. I mean, you, you can't even imagine this. 
The next day, he took out two denarii. Denarii was just the amount of money that the average worker made in a day. So, so we, might, we might say, let, let, let's call it $150. He takes out $300 and he says, here, I want this to go ahead and cover what we've spent so far. Uh, and and then he, says, he says this, he says, look after him. He says to the innkeeper, and, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you might have. Do you know what he says? He says, I'm just going to open up a line of credit. Like, listen, whatever this guy needs for his treatment, it's on me. I got it. Here's a down payment. I'll be back and I'll cover it. It's an amazing thing. And then Jesus, as he finishes up the story, again, this is a story. And there's only two people standing. It's Jesus as the expert in the law. Because he's telling this story in response to this guy's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God. Or the guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. And the man says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story. And it is worst case scenario for this expert in the law because he is hoping against hope that Jesus is going to narrow the window of what it means to be a neighbor. And now he just obliterated it. Because the neighbor is, in, in, in this story, is a Samaritan caring for a Jew and, and so Jesus asked this question. He says, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And let's just answer Jesus' question here, right? I mean, let's just pretend like we're in a big, small group. Which of these three do you think, I'm asking you, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? Right. Easy answer. Right. You're right. So here's how the expert in the law answers the question. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Watch this. What is he not able to do? What is he not able to do? Can't even call him by name. He can't even say the Samaritan. Why? Because of the condition of his heart. You see, he can't even say it. The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus, Jesus says, and I think when Jesus says this, I think he's got a big Jesus smile on his face. He says, you go and do likewise. You want eternal life? Go do that. And the guy's thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do that. That's impossible to that. That's the point. What is the point of the law? Now watch this. This is, this is, this is next level Christianity. What is the point of the law? Is the point of the law, the Old Testament law, the point of the Ten Commandments, is the point of the Ten Commandments to bring about your salvation? No. The point of the law was to show you that you need a What? Savior, that you can't keep it. That's what the law does. The law shows me, like, I can't keep this. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's exposing this guy. He says, here, do this and you'll live. And this guy says, this is impossible. To that, Jesus would say, right, right, right. It's impossible. That's why I came. If nothing else, man, can I just leave this legacy? If nothing else, when my time here is done, please, 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 new vision. Those of you watching online, please know this. Is there any, answer this question. Is there anything that you and I can do in our own power to earn a relationship with the living God? The answer to that is no, no, no. This is what this guy didn't get. Now let's talk about compassion for just a few moments. What is it? Here's the first thing. Compassion is not produced by rule following but by experiencing extravagant grace. That, that's the untold story in, in, in this parable. Like when I grew up, I, I heard the story of the Good Samaritan and I always left feeling like, you know what, I need, I need to be like the Good Samaritan. But Jesus isn't teaching that, you know what, he's not saying that you need to command compassion because you cannot command compassion. It does not work. You can't command somebody to love somebody they don't love, right? If you were here Wednesday night, you get this. What is the food that I hate worse than any of those who are at leader night? 
I hate them. There is, and, and don't send me an email. Like people were sending me pictures after the last service of bacon and lettuce, tomato sandwiches. I want like, I, there is not a food that I hate worse than a tomato. In fact, somebody told me Thursday night that 2% of the population in America have such a negative reaction to tomatoes if they taste it that they, that they become sick. I'm almost there. I hate them. It's so funny. Yesterday, Amy and I went out to walk our dogs and our neighbor across the street, she uh, called us over and she said, I've got something for y'all. And she brought out a box of tomatoes. I thought she was kidding. I thought somebody had told her about this from Thursday night. And I was laughing. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. She said, you could tell she wasn't kidding. It hurt her feelings. I said, Amy likes them. Amy and I, this is how, this, we've been married for 27 years. This is how this deal goes down. If she, today after church, she said, I'm going to run, get us, pick us up uh, something for lunch. You, you want a burger? Yes. And I'll tell her, I said, go ahead and get me a whatever, quarter pounder with cheese, no tomato. She said, they don't put tomatoes on court just in case somebody's new there. No tomato. Every time, I mean, she knows that. Like, she knows it, but I always say that. Like, if I have a salad, there's a salad that, that, that I like at it, it, it Chop House, but anyways, whatever. And so, um, and I'll say, I want the chopped salad, hold the, I know. Like, my, my favorite Mexican restaurant, Pepe is my waiter. I love him. I come in, and he says, what do you want, Burrito California? No tomato. He just yells it out. I'm like, I feel like Norm in Cheers. Some of you had no idea who that is. Like, yeah, man, that's, I hate him. You can't command me to like a tomato. It wanna, I mean, you can try to shame me. My family's been doing it for years. And it, it, this time of year is so weird in the South. It's like the homegrown tomatoes are in. I mean, you never had a tomato until you had a homegrown tomato. That sounds like you're, that sounds illegal. <laughs> I mean, when I listen to that, I'm like, yeah, I got some homegrown tomatoes. I'm like, this, this sounds super sketchy. Um. I'm going to eat something I hate and then get arrested for it. I'm like, I'm out. You, you can't guilt me. You can't shame me. You see, you think, well, what, what is the point? This is the point of, of, of compassion. Because compassion, look, look back at verse 33 again. Luke 10, 33, I want to show you this. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity or he had compassion on him. The word that Jesus uses here is the Greek word splagma. And so you're like, so splagma is an, I, can, I can't say this word, onomatopoeia, is that a English professor? Is that how you say it, sort of? And an, whatever, you know the word, onomatopoeia is, is a word that it sounds like what it is. It's like the word splash, right? The word splash, it, it sounds like what it is. So that's what splagma is. Splagma is on, on, whatever, you know that word. It means pity from the deepest part of your soul. Like for the Jew, they thought the seat of emotions was in the intestines. We think it's in the heart. And so they'd say, oh, I would love you. We, we say, I love you with my heart. They would say, I love you with my guts. It looks weird on a Valentine's card, but it's, here's, the, here's the best way to understand it. Splagma, compassion, watch this. I think you can get this. I think you can get this. Splagma is the feeling you feel when, you, when someone that you love deeply is hurting. If you're a mom or dad in this room and your child is hurting, it is what wells up inside of you. So compassion, watch this. This is what Jesus is showing. Compassion is not so much an action we choose. It's an emotion that overwhelms us. That's what the Samaritan had that the priest didn't have and the Levite didn't have. Like, here's the thing with me. You don't have to tell me to love my granddaughter, Charlotte. I love her. 
She, she was born uh, two weeks ago, and I, I, I loved her before she was born. When I held her for the first time, Amy didn't come up. She said, now, there she is. Some of you said, well, you showed that last week. Well, some of you weren't here. So you need to see it again. I mean, it, it isn't like Amy said, you know what? Now you're a granddad. You need to love Charlotte. Work on that. No. You have to teach me. You don't have to tell me to love my granddaughter. I mean, like, you see her. I mean, you love her, right? How could you not? You don't have to tell me to love my grandson, my boys, my wife, fishing, steak, naps. You don't have to tell me to love any of that. I, I, I love them. Here's why Christianity doesn't work for so many people. Jesus must be your substitute before he is your example. Jesus, let me say it another way. Jesus must be your sacrifice. Jesus must be your redeemer before he is your example. If you, to tr if you try to make him your example, if you make him a teacher, which is what the expert in the law called him, teacher, and you're just trying to follow his example without first experiencing his grace and him being your substitute, it will never work. Because you cannot be compassionate without truly experiencing compassion. I know what some of you are saying. Well, no, that's not true. Because I'm compassionate. There's a lot of things I'm compassionate about. Well, you might be compassionate about certain things, but really people that are so unlike you, that's something only God can can do. So here's the original question. Watch this. Watch this. This is super important. The original question that the expert in the law asked was what? This is a small group. You got The original question that the expert in the law asked Jesus was what? Okay. What must I do to inherit eternal life? As a communicator, I feel like I'm really connecting with you guys today. The original question was what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now the answer is this. Get a new heart. That's what Jesus is saying because you, you can't. You, can't, you need a new heart. In fact, Ezekiel 36, verse 26, we're going to put this up on the screen. This is an amazing passage. This is an Old Testament messianic, meaning Messiah, what the Messiah is going to do. It's a prophecy and a promise of what Messiah is going to do when he comes. Look at this. When Messiah comes, I will give you a what? New heart and put a what? New spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone, which is prejudice, anger, all of this resentment, a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that's soft. Listen, I don't, need, I don't need more commands to like tomatoes. In order for me to like a tomato, you know what I would need? I would need new taste buds, right? I mean, that's what's got to change. And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's what you're missing. When the guy says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you, you don't get it. It's what I want to do in you that will change you from the inside out. Now, here's a couple things. I want to share three things with you very quickly. You have them in your notes. These are three things that I think you can take to your house with you today that will help you to grow in compassion. Because let me see, this is so important. Listen to this. You cannot foundationally experience compassion or extend compassion to others until you have first experienced it. Let me say that to you again because I messed it up. You cannot extend compassion or be compassionate until you have first experienced it. But if you have experienced that, if you're here today as a believer, how can you grow in compassion? Because can I ask you this question? Would, would your family, would your workplace, would every relationship around you be better if you grew as a more compassionate person? <laughs> the ladies answer that, yes. Now, they were answering for the guys in their life. But anyways, 
Here, watch this. How do we do that? Growing in compassion takes a couple things. Number one, a constant reminder of, of God's grace in our life. Think about this. This is an exercise today. Who is the person? Don't shout this out loud. Don't write it on a piece of paper. Who is it in your life you have the hardest time extending compassion towards? What will help you in that? Not me saying, hey, be more compassionate toward them. No, be reminded of how compassionate Christ was to you. When you were his enemy, he extended extravagant grace to you. Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. I love that first phrase, in view of God's mercy. Before you offer your body as a living sacrifice, what do you do? Remind yourself of the grace and the mercy of God, what God has done on your behalf in Christ. And as you just remind yourself of that, what you will begin to experience, you'll begin to experience greater levels of compassion and you'll see relationships change. Now here's the untold story. What if, what if the person in this story we are most like, or what if the person in this story we are most supposed to, uh, supposed to associate with is not the priest, it's not the Levite, it's not the Samaritan. That's what I grew up thinking. Wonder if the person we are supposed to most relate to is the man who's bleeding out on the side of the road. And he couldn't do anything, anything to care for himself and wonder if somebody so unlike us stepped into that situation, crossed over all of these boundaries, all of these barriers, and began to one by one heal our wounds. And here's the difference. These are wounds, most of them, that I brought on myself. These are self-inflicted wounds. And wonder if this person so unlike us began to stop and heal these wounds one by one, pouring oil and wine and just extravagant gift after extravagant gift. And wonder if he, he took us and met us in this deepest, darkest, most hopeless, part of our life and he stayed with us and brought us back to life at his own expense. Wonder if the person, you ever thought about this story that way? Wonder if the person in this story that you and I are supposed to most relate to is the guy on the side of the road. And so the natural question is, if you were that guy, left for dead, and a guy completely unlike you. You're a McCoy. He was a Hatfield. He came and he nursed you back to life. He paid the bill, and he shows back up a couple days later to settle up and check on you. When you're sitting out on the porch in that inn, still bandaged, but now you're going to make it. Starting to get your strength back, and just over the hill, here he comes. Let me ask you this question. What would your gut reaction be to him? Splagma, compassion. I think that's what begins to happen when we really stop and think about what Christ has done on our behalf. That's really the untold story of this parable. 
Let's look at the second thing. If I want to grow in compassion, number one, constant reminder of the grace of God in our life. Number two, I'm running out of time. Can you listen fast? I wish I had more time. I know you don't, but I do. A reminder that God didn't call us to be careless, but he did call us to be courageous. Watch this. Listen, listen. The priest and the Levite, they both knew the law, and they were too busy. But one of the things, they were just afraid. And, and rightly so, because to stop on the pass of the blood and, and, and begin to stop and heal somebody, that could have put them into, into, into danger. And listen, I'm not telling you to be careless, but I am telling you that we are going to have to push past some false beliefs that we have in our life because what we want in our culture today is we want safety, 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 safety. We want God to bless our deal. We want to live in our castle. We only let people into our life who are safe. We only let people around our children who we think are safe. We just want safe, safe, safe. And some time to be compassionate. We, we don't have to be careless, but we do have to be courageous to open ourselves up to the mission of God in a more courageous way than we ever have before. That's what these first two guys missed when they went to the other side of the road. And I'm just wondering in my life and perhaps in your life, how many times do we talk ourselves out of a courageous and compassionate step that God would have us to? Even as Dakota's coming out today, and I know this is a shameless plug, and I, I didn't even say it in the last service because it just dawned on him. When, 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 he, when he's challenging challenging us to in this be a light for five weeks to lead a small group the first thing that comes to your mind is just like fear 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 but what if God is challenging you to be courageous what's one area in your life what's one step you can take in your life this week towards more courageous compassion lastly If you're going to go and I'm going to grow in compassion, I need to constantly remind myself of the grace of God. I need to be reminded that God didn't didn't call me to carelessness, but he did call me to courageous compassion. And then lastly, it's a reminder that compassion is going to take some margin. Listen, i got a minute and a half. Can you listen fast? Our culture, we all need to hear this. We all need to hear this because good stuff happens in the margin. Here's what the Samaritan had that the other two guys didn't have. He had some margin. We're so busy. I mean, I mean, I can see the priest saying, you know what, for me to stop and, 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 and minister to this fellow Jew, that, that's going to take some time. It's time I don't have. He didn't have any margin. For the Levite to say, for me to stop and care for this guy, listen, that's going to be expensive and I don't, I don't have any. Here's what we say around here all the time. Good stuff happens in the margin. Well, what is margin? It is just the extra stuff. It's extra time that you set aside. It's extra money that you set aside. Good stuff happens in the margin. And this is what the scripture teaches in Leviticus 19. Well, let me challenge you. You want to read Leviticus 19, it will help you so much understand the story we just read. But in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, God is teaching the Jews this. He says, when you reap your field, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field. Now, what did he mean? It's like if you have a square field. He says, you've got a square field and it's harvest time and you're harvesting your wheat. Don't harvest the square. Harvest it like it's a circle. And what do you leave? If you, can you get that in your mind? If you're harvesting a square, can you help, guys help me? That's why we're running late. And you harvest in a circle. What have you done? You've left the edges. Well, that's a lot of wheat there. Yes, that's margin. So that the poor would have something. That's what I want you to do. He says, when you harvest your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. In other words, you just pick it one time. If stuff's left over, just leave it. 
Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen and leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. He's saying, I will care for you. I will provide for you. But when we think about our lives, listen, think about our schedules. Can you get it in your mind? We feel every minute of our schedules. We are so busy. And one of the reasons that, that, that we don't have compassion is it's not that we don't care for people. It's just that we just don't have time. Because stepping into people's life takes time. And so here's the challenge this week. It's super important. Because let me say this to you. You can't say yes to something without saying no to something else. Can I say that to you again? You can't say yes to something without saying no to something else. And I'm afraid in our culture we have said yes to so many good things that we don't have any margin at all in our schedule for the great things. What is one thing in your life that you could say no to this week to create margin for a great thing? Moms and dads, if I could go back, I'm almost 50 years old. If I could go back and do it over we tried to have our kids in anything and everything. We tried to have our boys in anything and everything because we didn't want them, want them to miss out on anything and everything. So we just had stuff after school, every kind of sport. We just did, did, did. And I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad. It's not. I'm just saying we had so little margin. And can I just tell you, the great stuff happens in the margin. That's a difference in this story. Let me close with this. Again, what was the expert in the law's initial question? I'll help you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is saying to him, it's not what you do. It's understanding what I have already done. You see it? You missed it. It's not, it's not what you do. It's what I have already done. And he's saying this. Listen, listen, listen. Compassion is not so much a rule to be obeyed, but it is a reality, first of all, to be experienced. So here is the most penetrating and important question of the day. I know it's time to go, but please, please. Compassion is not so much a rule to be obeyed. It's like telling me to like tomatoes, right? Does that work? No. But it's a reality to be experienced. Here's the question. Have you experienced that reality? Have you experienced that type of compassion from somebody who is so different from you? From, from somebody who put themselves in danger for you? For somebody who was so extravagant, even though your wounds were consequences of our own decisions, and they begin to heal them. Have you experienced that reality? If not, my prayer would be this, because you know it. My prayer would be that you would know where that reality is. It's in Christ. And you would stay in this place mentally, emotionally, and spiritually of just begging him, surrendering to him, trusting him, and let him change your heart. And he will. It's the most amazing experience in your life. And you'll never be able to dispense grace and compassion to have first experienced it. 
Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Now we believe that your Holy Spirit will do his greatest work in taking the word that we have read and the word that we have prepared and shared and now applying it to our life and to the next steps for all of us. We trust you in that. And Lord, would you grant us the faith and the courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.